0: My, good morning. I'm Judith Lay, welcoming you to Praise, the programme that connects faith and daily life.
1: Radio.
0: It's pancakes on Tuesday, and Wednesday is the first day of a season called Lent. But what does it all mean? In a few moments, we'll listen to Russ Bravo and Patrick Woodward discussing pancakes, penance and whether being grumpy for weeks on end is really what we should be doing. We'll also be hearing a very personal story of being in the wilderness and praise is going on pilgrimage again. Later in the programme, I'll be talking to tour guide Susie Rosedale, our pilgrimage guide in Israel last autumn. But first, one of the hymns we sang when we were on pilgrimage – Dear Lord and Father of mankind, forgive our foolish ways. i you. Wallingford Parish Church Choir from Oxfordshire and Dear Lord and Father of Mankind. On the Church calendar, this Tuesday is Shrove Tuesday and the following day is Ash Wednesday, the first day of the season of Lent, a period of six weeks when the Church prepares to celebrate the great feast that's at the very heart of the Christian faith, Easter. But what does all this really mean? Let's join Russ Bravo and Patrick Woodward.
2: Lent was something that started really in the early church uh, and and went on from there it was the time, the final time of preparation before people were baptised at Easter and so just as Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness where he was fasting and tempted uh, before he started his ministry, the idea was that the people who were preparing to become Christians to be baptised at Easter, spent the final 40 days in their idea of of giving things up, their their desert if you like, so there was that there was also uh, in the early church the time when people had been uh, cast out of the uh, the communion uh, excommunicated, if you like, because of sin or because of what they'd done or whatever. Uh, and this was their final time of, of being making reparation for those sins before they came back at Easter, and it was a big jolly, uh, and everybody had a fantastic uh, time there. Right. So Shrove Tuesday and Ash Wednesday. Oh, yes, uh, explain those. The pancakes. That's what everyone probably Pancake re- remembers. Pancake Absolutely, day. Yeah. yeah. Uh, shrove Tuesday is the Tuesday before Ash Wednesday, and it's a time Shrove, uh, meaning shrive, to, to get rid of sins, to, to repent. Mm. It was also a time when the day before uh, Lent started, of course, you cleared out your cupboards of all the rich fare that you had left, and what better to make them pancakes. So you fried up your pancakes and you had a big feast before the austerity of Lent kicked in, because of course Lent starts on Ash Wednesday, and that 40-day period where people traditionally gave things up, and on, on Ash Wednesday, at the beginning of Lent, you were marked with the sign of the cross in ash on your forehead. And I mean, it still happens a lot uh, in the Orthodox tradition, the Roman Catholic tradition, and, and uh, a lot of the Anglican traditions as well people on ash wednesday will meet together Uh, the palm crosses from the year before will have been burnt and turned into ash and the ash will be marked on the foreheads of the people uh, in church Uh, to dust you are to dust you will return Uh, turn away from your sins and turn to christ now, this all goes back right to the early days of the church. It's not something which is a throwback to, like, Victorian times. Oh, no, 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 it's much, much further back. Yeah, much, much further back than that. Right. And what about the whole idea of giving up things? Because that's what we think about, isn't it? Oh, it I'm going to yeah. give up chocolate oh, for a Lent. chocolate, you know. wine, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> what, what, Where does this, this come from and become extra grumpy for Lent? That's yeah, what it's that's all it. about. <laughs> well, uh, originally, of course, because Jesus went into the desert for 40 days um, and he gave up uh, a lot of things for, for 40 days. In particular, it says he, fa- he fasted, didn't eat, didn't drink for 40 days. So the idea was that Jesus gave things up for for this period of time. Lent is an echo of that. Therefore we give things up that are getting in the way of our discipleship, of our following God. So traditionally lent has been a time for, for giving things up. It's also a time for taking things on though as well. Uh, and sometimes uh, you know it's, in one sense it's quite easy to give up tea or coffee and just be grumpy for the whole of lent or have <laughs> caffeine withdrawal symptoms. But what about taking something on? What about going to a lent group? What about reading a particular book? What about praying for somebody particularly something that you actually take on during the period of Lent because one of the things that Lent is about it's about spring cleaning our lives and it's asking whether the patterns that we're setting how we're loving how we're using our money how we're using our time and our talents are those are we doing that in the way that God wants us to do it and if and if we need to give things up maybe we do but also maybe we need to take things on Is Lent a miserable time? It's not a miserable time, it's a sombre time, and I think there's a difference, isn't it? It's not a joyless time, uh, but it may be a serious time. It's not a time for self-flagellation and self-recrimination, but it's a time for repentance and a time for penitence, and it's a time for getting ourselves straight with God. This idea of spring cleaning is quite a helpful one. Spring cleaning can be a lot of hard work, and it can be a bit of a sweat, but hey, do you feel better when you've done it? Uh, And so with our lives, we need a chance to spring clean our lives. Thank you, Russ Bravo and Patrick Woodward. Russ mentioned that Jesus
0: spent 40 days in the wilderness. But why? And what is this to say to us today? Well, until Jesus was about 30, he lived in obscurity with his family in Nazareth. Then he left home to spend the next couple of years walking from town to town, teaching, sharing his message of a new, different life, healing the sick and drawing followers to him. Those years were to end with his death on a cross and his rising from the dead, the events that we celebrate at Easter. But before he did anything, he spent 40 days in the wilderness, fasting and praying and reflecting on what God, his Father, had sent him to do. And as we're going to hear in a few moments, while he was there, he was tempted several times by the devil. But what does it say to us today? there are many ways of finding ourselves in a wilderness and this is Lin's story.
3: One of the beginnings of my journey was when I got married to a Chinese man and after living in the UK for a number of years with him, we moved to Hong Kong. My journey became more difficult for me when I lived in Hong Kong and that was about being in another culture and trying to find my own place in that. But it was also about living with a man who became a completely different person in that culture and having to deal with the the reality of that relationship not working. We lived there for three years and during that period our marriage broke up and I was also pregnant at the same time. And then I came back to the UK alone and had my daughter and lived in Lancashire. Well, I thought I knew what the church would actually say to me. What I wanted was them to say this this has been very hurtful for you. you you are a wounded person, and we are all wounded and you you know you belong here with us. But what actually happened was that they said, what you have done is not acceptable in our eyes in terms of you know, you your marriage has broken down, and so therefore you cannot participate fully. In, in our church in terms of being able to receive communion and the sacraments. And although intellectually I could be very dismissive of that, um, emotionally I couldn't because this has been the church that I've been brought up in and it was very hard for me to, to come to a decision that I had to walk away from that and find a new place that I could feel comfortable and a new place that I could look at my own spiritual journey Um, and find other people who would walk alongside me in terms of, you know, accepting me for who I was and where I'd come from.
4: We may have shared Lynn's experience or we may have been reminded of other similar experiences, some painful. We offer all of these to God as we listen for His Word through Scripture. Then the Spirit led Jesus into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After spending 40 days and nights without food, Jesus was hungry. The devil came to him and said, If you are God's son, order these stones to turn into bread. Jesus answered, The scripture says, Man cannot live on bread alone, but on every word that God speaks. Then the devil took Jesus to the holy city, set him on the highest point of the temple and said to him, If you are God's son, throw yourself down to the ground. For the scripture says, God will give orders to his angels about you. They will hold you up with their hands so that you will not even hurt your feet on the stones. Jesus answered, But the scripture also says, You must not put the Lord your God to the test. Then the devil took Jesus to a very high mountain, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in all their greatness. All this I will give you, the devil said, if you kneel down and worship me. Then Jesus answered, Go away, Satan. The scripture says, Worship the Lord your God, and serve only him. So the devil left him, and the angels came and helped Jesus.
3: I moved to Glasgow just recently. For me, the thing about moving to Glasgow was I felt that there, were a, there was a very strong possibility here that I would have a sense of community, which had been missing in my life for a long time, um, since before I went to Hong Kong. And even though I actually only knew two or three people very well, those people knew other people and they were people who were very accepting and welcoming of me and without exception said to me, we're really glad you're here, we're really glad you took the risk to be here. So for me it's, it's been a, about a place of trying to start again but starting feeling that I'm being supported by people around me and that um, there are also people around me who are like me and there are people around me who are not, who, you know, who could be happily married or people who are single or people who are separated and a whole vast section of that and who are living out the Christian faith and the Christian journey in those circumstances and there isn't an expectation to be, to be this ideal and if you don't reach that ideal then you failed in some way, that there is more about, well we've all failed and we've all done things wrong but that's part of the journey that we're all on together. I think that for me coming to terms with what happened to me myself was was in some ways more important than finding a community because it took me a long time to accept that yes I had made some mistakes and yes I had failed at some things but actually that was okay to do that and that that did not make me a bad person, but it actually gave me an opportunity to grow and it gave me a chance to reflect on where that those experiences had brought me to and what what they had made me be. So I think there's something about giving yourself a time to lick your wounds, giving yourself a time to accept what's happened to you and giving yourself an opportunity to look at it in terms of a positive experience that may well have been very hurtful and still will be very hurtful but is but also can be positive and and can enable you then to support other people
4: and so we pray in everyone's journey There are surprising times, disturbing times, painful times. We search for truth, for meaning, and we long for love. We want to be complete. We all have our wilderness moments when we feel lost. And it's then that the hand of God reaches out for he himself knew what it was to be lost. Lord, be with me in times of trouble, a hand that comforts and consoles and guides me to fullness of life.
0: Music from Margaret Ritzer ending that reflection on being in the wilderness. The first of an occasional series we'll have during these weeks of Lent, preparing for the great celebration of Easter. And now it's time for praise to go on pilgrimage again. A chance for you to meet Holy Land guide Susie Rosedale. Susie was our guide on the pilgrimage that went from the island to Israel last November. And she has a fascinating background, as I soon found out when we had this chat during a rare quiet moment in our Jerusalem hotel.
5: I'm Australian. I'm half Jewish. I did the tour guiding course after I came here. But why I came here was because I had just finished four years of drama school And the Dean of Drama said, if you want to be a good actor, you have to know where your roots are. And so I thought, well, uh, my mother was Swiss. i have been to Switzerland. My father was German, been to Berlin. Why not try Israel because I'm somewhat Jewish? And I came and absolutely fell in love with the country. And a year or so later, I came and immigrated to Israel not because I'm a Zionist, not because I'm a particularly religious Jew or anything, but I fell in love with it and stayed for at least seven years. Then I went back during the first Gulf War, I went back to Australia. But while I was here, I did the tour guiding course because I knew very little about the country. So you mentioned that you'd lived in a kibbutz. That was oh, an amazing experience. I, When I first came, this was in 1981, I went to the Jewish agency in Melbourne and said I would like to come and I'd like to go on a kibbutz. So they gave me a kibbutz and I I wasn't going to stay for the year, but the first Lebanon war broke out. This was in 1981. So I stayed and because I'm a teacher, they asked me to teach and I taught the final primary grades and secondary and had a really hard time with it. But at the end of the whole thing, that really cemented my my desire to come and live in Israel. I guess community living, whatever it is called, whatever nationality Mm. is very challenging, isn't it? It was in particular because I didn't speak enough Hebrew. I really only learnt, started learning Hebrew when I was there. And the kids are very, oh, they lack discipline, shall we say. They're They're lovely kids but very hard to work with. And they ran rings around me in the classroom. I was working with them in the orchards before I became a teacher and having a lot of fun mucking around with them. But when I became a teacher, they just couldn't handle that. And gave me a hard time and I went down to the workshop where one of the kids who was really a problem, and where his father worked, and he said, well, I don't come to you if I have a problem and, and I appreciate it if you don't come to me. And I went, okay, fine, right, and struggled through the rest of the year and managed somehow. And fell in love with the country despite the difficulty.
0: Well, that really is a love affair because that could have sent you flying back to Australia and it, it really could. You just seem to know about absolutely everything. You can talk about the political situation. You can describe the geography. You know
5: all the religious nuances of everywhere. How long and how intense is the guiding course? The guiding course, which I did in the late 80s, was 18 months, three nights a week study and one, two or three days out in the field. It was very intensive. And you go right through from prehistory to modern Zionism and everything in between. The three religions is a small section of the course. That's Islam, Judaism and Christianity. And at the end of it, if you want to actually guide, really it's Christianity, which is the main work in the country There are so many Christians coming, and as you saw today, I mean, there are more and more coming all the time.
0: People who are coming here, like us, you know what our traditions are. You want us to have the best experience.
5: Where does your faith lie? It's a very personal faith. My father was a secular humanist Jew. That's what he called himself. And my mother converted to Judaism in order to marry him, but not the Orthodox conversion. A liberal conversion. So I grew up in a very, very liberal home with my grandmother only insisting that we do the high holidays, the main Jewish holidays. My parents didn't want to send me to a Jewish school because I thought I'd be praying too much and they didn't think that would be right for me. So they sent me to a Church of England, a girls' grammar school, High Church of England, where I was on my knees most days. (laughs) And uh, my father said, Look, you could be exempt from going to the Christian religious instructions classes. But he said, I'd like you to go because this is a Christian country and you should learn about Christianity. So I spent 12 years learning about Christianity and very little about my Jewish faith, actually. And because my parents weren't religious in any way, it was up to me what I wanted out of it. And I sort of have picked up my own ideas and my own spirituality, which is very personal and not institutionalized in any way. And I'm very comfortable with Christian groups because of my background of, 12 years of schooling. And the songs, the hymns, I love singing. I don't participate in communion, but I have great respect for, the, for, for Christianity. You're a very experienced guide. Have you seen a change? Well, it's certainly getting busier. This season in particular is one of the busiest I've ever come across and it's making it much more difficult people coming and wanting to have that special experience because everywhere you go there are crowds and crowds of people and for me to try and find a little spot somewhere where we can sit quietly and, and reflect on what the importance of that site is, is becoming much more difficult. I'm thinking ahead all the time, I'm looking at where, how, how can I make it work for the group as best as, as possible. What makes this trip really special for me also is the fact that we have three amazing leaders never fail to bring the group into a wonderful experience of their faith. And that makes my job as a guide so much easier also. I don't want to do the spiritual side of things, but when I have people like Steve and Rod and Dawn who, with so much passion, give of themselves to the group, I'm not really doing a lot of work myself. I have chosen to work with a particular company from the UK because I don't live in Israel, I come from Australia every time, so it, I'm limited now to that clientele base and I'm very happy working with English and, of course, Isle of Man now. Yeah. I love the work. I come here because I enjoy it and I want to see my friends and it's fresh for me each time and I want to give people here the best possible experience that they can have.
6: I lift up my eyes to the hills From whence comes my hair from the Lord, maker of
1: heaven
6: and earth. I lift up my eyes to the hills.
0: that tour guide Susie Rosedale mentions so warmly are Reverend Steve Ingruel, his father, Reverend Rod, and Reverend Dawn Harrison from Lancashire, and they will jointly lead another pilgrimage from the island to the Holy Land in spring 2021, for which, once again, Susie Rosedale will be the guide. And if you'd like to know more without any obligation, just have a word with Reverend Steve. He's the Methodist Minister in Onken, and you can reach him on 674 464. 674-464. Six seven four four six four, And listen out for more Praise on Pilgrimage in future programs. But that's all that we've time for today. Thank you for listening to this week's Praise Podcast. There's a new Praise Podcast available every Sunday morning. You can subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify via the Manx Radio smartphone app or at manxradio.com. So, till we meet again, this is Judith saying thank you for your company and I wish you and those you love every blessing in the days ahead.
1: The Nation Station makes great-